We have this rare opportunity right now. There has never been a time like this before where we've been able to so easily share our voices with the world. And the planet is going through an enormous struggle and an enormous transformation right now. It's my belief that the best way forward is for each of us to find our purpose, to share our passions, and to communicate with each other so that we can amplify what we love, who we love, and those voices that need to be elevated. We turn up the volume. This isn't just another course. This is a community that will take you to the next level. You'll be guided to launch your own podcast and distribute it so that the entire world can hear it. This isn't just launching a podcast, my friends. This is about using the power of your voice to amplify what you love. Hey, what's up, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to Be On Air. I'm your host, Kaylee Marks. If you're an entrepreneur, coach, author, or have a brand and are trying to grow your business, or even if you just have a message to share, then this show is for you. We are sharing proven blueprints to amplify yourself, and we'll discuss every step of the podcaster's journey to give you the mindset, tools, and community that you need to launch and grow your own impactful podcasting platform so that you can be on air. Before we get into today's episode, if you haven't already, please subscribe. And if you're enjoying the show, please consider sharing this podcast with someone who might benefit from it. Your support helps so much. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. Hey, 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 welcome back to another episode of Beyond Air. I'm your host, Kaylee Marks, and today we are speaking with Kevin Johnson. Kevin is an incredible human. I've known him for several years now, and I'm really excited to share him with you. He is a leader in the sensory deprivation industry. His Institute, Zero Gravity Institute, helps people open up float centers. They have a float center here in Austin, Texas, and he is a pioneer in that space as far as building just the next level of sensory deprivation tanks and consulting for people. He's also an incredible musician, touring artist, has been touring for for decades, uh, creating just beautiful music with his partner. And they're up to some really amazing stuff. One thing is their organization, Vida Brillante. They are shamanic guides and facilitators, uh, also known as ayahuasqueros. They share medicine from the South American rainforests and uh, share healing with the world. So I'm really happy to have Kevin here. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Kaylee. This is great. It's really cool to uh, have this opportunity. I, I I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah, actually, I think that you may have put like 
the idea of podcasting in my mind a couple years ago, you had mentioned just being interested in podcasting and I wasn't even quite in- interested in it at that point. So uh, this feels very full circle to me and I'm really excited for a conversation today. And maybe what we could start with is just like a little bit of background information on you and your journey, uh, especially with like music and touring and how you got into sensory deprivation. If you could kind of walk us through your timeline a little bit. Yeah. So I went to school to uh, college in New York City at a theater school uh, as the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. And I, I, I had been playing music and doing theater since I was a little kid. During my time in New York, I uh, was keeping myself alive financially by uh, taking my guitar, going into the subway and busking every day. Uh, I'd do a couple hours before school and a couple hours after school, which is uh, primarily the way that I made money. And then I would uh, also um, do a little bit of uh, work in some small pubs and, and little bars around New York. Fast forward some years, you're working there at the Float Center. Um, what happened to music? What happened to acting? And how did it take you to eventually open up your own Float Center and become so involved in that industry? Because this must have been right around the beginning or when it was still becoming popularized. Yeah, so th- this was in, uh, I started working at the Float Center in like 1985, 1986, something like that. About Three years later, I guess it would have been about 88, I, um, I decided to come back to Texas. I, I grew up in Texas. Um, it was a girl that brought me back to Texas. I had had this uh, high school sweetheart, and we were trying to conduct this long-distance relationship and was presenting a lot of challenges. So uh, I, I decided I was going to move back to Texas I moved up to the Dallas-Fort Worth area primarily because they had a, a really good theater scene, but they also had a burgeoning music scene. The, the Deep Ellum music scene really starting to um, be a force in in uh, independent music. And I was looking for a place where uh, it would support both my, my theater aspirations, but also I I was looking for a place that would be open and friendly to uh, new artists that were uh, writing and creating their own original music. I moved to the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I found a band that needed a songwriter and I started working with that band and we started gigging around Texas uh, doing s- small tours regionally. And uh, that that's actually where I met my wife, Carol. That's incredible. And I mean, so you guys collaborate in everything you do. You collaborated in the music, you collaborated in the, in the float spa, you collaborate in the shamanic work you do, right? Yeah. It's incredible to find, to find a partner like that and to go through, uh, that journey and to just have found someone who can kind of track with you among all these different, very distinct, connected but distinct areas or fields so that's that's such a gift thanks for sharing that story that so just to tune in with the the listeners right now part of the reason why this i felt like this is so valuable your your story and your experiences even for people trying to start a podcast there's so much there's so many parallels and there's so much similarity between the music path and the podcasting path i mean it takes same amount of discipline 
if not even more, it takes so much uh, commitment and you have to be in it for a long time. And I mean, 20, almost 30 years touring uh, with sound gear, with musicians, with payments, with, you know, the, just the management of the tour, it is quite an undertaking. And you, you mentioned um, the, having the validation of these larger artists. And I think that's one of the keys that podcasters are using to grow their audience is you you interview guests that either have a show that's a little bit above or bigger than yours and you you know, you, you invite guests onto your show, you go on to other shows, and that in a sense validates your show, it also helps you to, you know, borrow their audience. And in, in the end, it also just gives you these relationships and connections that are so valuable. So you must have, you know, that must have been a really just powerful experience to be around all these, uh, you know, he, like Jeff Buckley. I mean, that's just incredible to tour with him. How, like what happened to sensory deprivation and the float tank stuff while all this was happening? Did that kind of pause or at when did you open your own spa and start building tanks? Sadly, the floating industry, with, with only a few exceptions, the floating industry did not survive the AIDS crisis. So remember in the late 80s, I, I, I know probably a lot of your listeners aren't even old enough to really remember what that time was like. When, when AIDS, HIV first started uh, just decimating the world, um, nobody understood how it was transmitted. And at that time, the alarm bells were going off. People were not even touching doorknobs or drinking out of public water fountains. It was really no one understood how it was being transmitted. And so the idea of getting into public water was outrageous. I mean, public swimming pools closed down. There was just no way for the floating industry to survive that. And so the few float centers that were opening commercially in, in the mid to late 80s, um, they pretty much all closed down. Um, space-time tanks in Chicago is uh, one of the only float centers that actually stayed alive and and is still in existence today as well as uh, samadhi float company in in california the the float tank manufacturer they had their own float center as well so uh th- there may have been a few others scattered around the world europe and asia that that survived it but but not very many it was very 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 hard to find a flotation tank uh through through that whole time i missed it a lot and the, I felt like the world was missing it. And then around 2012, maybe, Joe Rogan talking about float tanks on his podcast. And he, had, he has a float tank in his house. He was talking about it a lot, <laughs> which was one of the main reasons that I started listening to his podcast, right? And then I started noticing like, oh, people are getting interested in floating again. Float centers are open where there's 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 one in portland there's one in los angeles there's one in new york city there's one in chicago like they started popping up again you know and at that time carol and i started looking at it realizing like hey i i know a lot about floating and perhaps this is something that we want to offer the community in austin and we 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 saw this as uh 
a twofold opportunity. On one level, just floating and floating is great. And then we would have access to float tanks whenever we wanted. And we felt like the community in Austin would embrace this idea. There's so many artists and floating is so good for creativity. And we thought it would be a nice thing to offer the community. On the other side of things, as musicians, as performing artists, we realized that we were always asking for support from the communities where we played music. Come to our shows, buy tickets, pay a cover charge, buy our CDs, buy our t-shirts, support us, support us, support us, support the club, support, right? It's like we were always asking for something from the community in order to support what we were doing. The idea of opening a flotation center was a way for us to give something to the community that we would offer this um, as just just something beneficial. I love that point about just always asking versus what can we give. So it sounds like there's a shift that happened there. Yeah, yeah. Twelve, we started making plans for 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 the float center, and then we we opened it in uh, the summer of 2013. So you opened the sensory deprivation, uh, the float spa. So did the music, did the music uh, stop or was that a concurrent thing that you would, you open the spa and you were doing that and you would still go out on tour? So we stopped touring uh, at the level that we were touring at before. So before that we were touring a lot for, for many years, we, we averaged 250, 275 days a year on tour. After that many of touring, you know, it's just a hard thing to sustain. It's uh, it's a lot of work, time, it's a lot of energy. Things were evolving for us personally, anyway, and um, our spiritual practices, our daily practices, were becoming more important. It was an opportunity for us to take a look at what the rest of our lives would look like, and um, and we felt like, yeah, we we've had this great career. It, we can do something else. Let's, let's, let's try something new. Like we don't, we don't have to just do this till we die over time. That internal need to create music, it, it, it changed too. Uh, Carol is, is an incredible holographic sound healer. And so a lot of her creativity and her energy around music started just more on her sound healing and uh and then for both of us um the uh, music of ayahuasca the ikoros the 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 medicine music right medicina musica it it it, it filled that need where we could take our musical talents and and use them in a different way. Yeah. So the, the, I love seeing this journey and this transformation and how our initial passions and interests can evolve over a lifetime based on, you know, our communities and just our, our experience. And one of the, I think the characteristics of, of what you're doing is facil- you're facilitating uh, an experience. And that's something that podcast hosts have to do is we have to facilitate uh, this container for this conversation and for the podcast episode for our audience. And so you, you had experience doing that obviously as an actor, right? But you had, you have experience doing that as a touring musician. You have to really 
have a presence on stage and, and command attention and guide people through a journey. But then that transferred over into the floating industry. And I know you were on some pretty large stages and, and you're, you're a leader in that industry. So you've given a ton of, uh, you've done a lot of public speaking and then now doing this, this, uh, the, the medicine music and the guiding through the, these shamanic practices, you're having to even deepen that more, I would imagine, with that facilitation. So could you talk a little bit about, uh, and especially with podcasters in mind, like what does it take to hold someone's experience or hold many people's experience? And what are some like facilitation uh, tips or, or just meditations you've had? It's really interesting, Kaylee. As I've grown into my shamanic work, it has become very clear to me that shamanism is a birthright. Everyone can be a shamanic practitioner. When I looked back at my life, I realized that playing music for audiences was an, an, a shamanic act. We were creating an environment and facilitating people as they entered an altered state of consciousness. Changed their state of consciousness totally. during the course of our performance, right? And we were responsible for hold, creating and holding that space for a given amount of time. Then we went into the flotation world, where we once again create an environment and facilitate people as they enter an altered state of consciousness, a place where they can do deep transformative work, right? And we held that space for them for a certain amount of time. And the same thing now as we do our work with, with ayahuasca and uh, presenting this beautiful medicine and representing the powerful, beautiful, benevolent spirit that lies behind the medicine, we're doing the exact same thing. And so for, for podcasters, you're doing the same thing. You're, you're, you're altering people's consciousness with the conversation that you're having. How do you want them to feel? What do you want them to learn? right? It's, you're, you're literally doing the exact same thing. And so wh whether or not an individual podcaster considers themselves a shamanic practitioner, in a very real way, they're doing a type of shamanic work. I believe podcasting is a powerful, powerful medium and it is changing the world. Just be in touch with that. Like, let spirit guide what you do. Let spirit guide your conversations. Let the, the, your desire to help people. I don't think podcasters would be podcasting unless they wanted to help people. They want to help people by exposing them to information, introducing them to people, opening their minds to new ideas and new processes and new ways of thinking, new ways of being, right? It, it, it can be profound and powerful, whether you're talking about health and wellness or spirituality or music and arts or cooking or whatever it is that your podcast may be about. If you hold in your mind and in your heart that at the root of what you're doing is trying to help people, trying to expand people, their knowledge, their information base, all of that. I, I think that's where you're going to find the most personally. And it's when you find the personal reward 
the, everything else falls into place. That's when you'll have listeners. That's when you'll have subscribers. That's, that's when you'll, you'll be an interesting guest on other people's podcasts. I love that. That is really well said and so true. And it made me think maybe, maybe not everyone is uh, listening is a hundred percent tuned into the ayahuasca world or the plant medicine world. Maybe even some people don't agree with it and that's fine. Um, there is something very interesting happening though with it and how many people it's transforming for the, for, for the better. And it's almost as if it's broadcasting itself. And I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that, on this medicine and on this medicine music and, and how it's starting to spread across the world and just like, yeah, what do you think about that? I think it's a beautiful thing. I think at this moment in time is really important for people to understand. There's been a conversation uh, lately around cultural appropriation. There's a lot of what what we call gringo shamans, right? People that have uh, studied the medicine and are now facilitating ceremonies around the world in a major city. It's possible to find an ayahuasca circle. This was done on purpose not an accident. This is not a bunch of gringos appropriating an indigenous culture from South America. In the early part of the 2000s, the Amazon forest came under attack from industry and development. Thousands of acres of forest were being destroyed every single day in order to have commercial farming, commercial logging, uh, the lungs of the earth were being destroyed. Depository of knowledge was being destroyed. Medicine was being destroyed. Species were being destroyed. The indigenous healers in the Amazon looked at what was happening. And they saw the sickness of the world. And they realized in that moment that the only way to save their world, Amazonia, the only way to save it was to send their medicine out into the world and heal the sickness of the world so that they would reconnect to the spirit of, of Pachamama, the earth, and protect her and heal her. They determined that the best way to do that was to give the world their medicine. And so they made a conscious decision to start training people to serve this medicine and they willingly started taking students in, teaching them, and then sending them out into the world. Ayahuasca is a vine, and vines spread. And what we're experiencing right now is ayahuasca spreading around the globe, spreading and embracing the world is what's happening. We see it healing people one individual at a time. And that is, is having an effect on the world. And so we will continue to serve as, as long as Mother Ayahuasca wants us to serve. We, we, we will continue to serve. And now it's in this abstract dimension of the, of the broadcast waves. There's how many countless people, you know, Joe Rogan, as an example, loves to talk about um, DMT or other kinds of psychedelics. Uh, how many podcasts are out there about plant medicine? MAPS is doing incredible work with it. So th these medicines are now even beyond spreading the medicine themselves, they're spreading the teachings through us, through the airwaves. And I find that just so fascinating that it's almost transcended the, the physical substance. And now it's expanding consciousness just through information, just through airwaves. 
That is such a good point, Kaylee. A thing that we say around ayahuasca is that ayahuasca is for everyone, but not everyone needs to drink ayahuasca. And the reason that we say this is because when you drink the medicine, when Carol drinks the medicine, we have this, this powerful ally now in, in, in this benevolent spirit of nature. We can now share our medicine with other people, right? Just like we're doing right now, we're sharing our medicine or listeners. And this is, again, for all of the podcasters, like this is a way to hold this in your mind and your heart and your intentions is to think about it as you're sharing your medicine, your personal medicine with the world. You're sharing your guests' personal medicine with the world in whatever form that takes. It doesn't have to be ayahuasca. It doesn't even have to be other plant medicines or psychedelics. Yes, it's a beautiful thing that that psychedelics are entering the mainstream. We're, we're having better, more serious conversations about psychedelics now than in any other time in history. And that's a beautiful thing. But there are many kinds of medicine. Absolutely. Yeah, it's an unprecedented time. I mean, it really is. And it's not because of COVID. It's because of the amount of wisdom that is out there and the amount of healing that is available for those to, to take and it's just it's being spread at all at all times and it can be difficult to discern and know what to tune into and what not to tune into and i think having lineages and having um groups having organizations who are kind of containing the responsibility to check out the source of, of the information that's coming through. And I know that you are connected with uh, different traditions and lines, uh, but also in the sensory deprivation world, like this is a line of thought that has been developed over time and is coming to us now, however, however it, it, its current evolution is. So I'm curious, like, what do you see the future of floating like, do you see what, what's going on with that? Where do you see that going? If listeners are interested in trying it, what would you recommend to them? And then, of course, as sort of an on-wrap to medicine, how could people start to tune into uh, different kinds of plant medicine? Or even if, if they don't want to take something, how could they tune into what, you know, the Icaros or the, the music that accompanies ceremonies like that? This has always been a powerful component of floating. This, this is one of the things that uh, is really attractive about it. Like I said, not everyone should be doing psychedelics. Not, not everyone can. So you, your job may prohibit it. Your family life may prohibit it. I, I have a lot of friends who have children and they feel like it would be irresponsible of them to um, leave their children and go off to do a medicine retreat and not be a hundred percent accessible and available should their children need them. And that's beautiful. I mean, I think that's perfectly fine, right? There are many people who have many reasons for not investigating psychedelics and plant medicines. The flotation tank is percent natural, right? You don't have to ingest a compound to experience an altered state of consciousness. In fact, my argument there would be, it is powerful to understand that you can enter deep states of consciousness where profoundly transformative work can be done 
part of being a human is we have the ability to access these states of consciousness. When we are being bombarded and overwhelmed by the just the overwhelming amount of sensory input that's available to us at any given moment. So I feel a couple of years ago that said at any given moment, there are 400 million bits of information available to the human brain. This number is, seems outrageous, 400 million bits. But just, just everyone, take a snapshot of what's going on around you, right? What color is your shirt? What color is the rug under your feet, the walls? What, where's the light coming from? Where are the shadows being cast? What is that sound in the background? Somebody's mowing their lawn outside. I can hear the music playing in the background. Uh, Kaylee's jamming on a guitar in the other room, right? Like temperature, sound, gravity. The impact that gravity is having on us all the time. When you get into a flotation tank, we do so much heavy lifting just by getting you in there. 90% of the workload is taken off of your brain and your central nervous system. Now you have these resources that, that used to be occupied by processing all this incoming information. Well, now that we freed up those resources, they can be allocated to doing background work that we don't ordinarily get to do. All of this sensory input that we're used to getting basis is leaving a residue on the lens through which we see the world and how we see ourselves and how we see our place in that world. I have never considered it quite like that. The way you frame that just made it so clear the benefit of, of undergoing that process. It makes me want to drive over to your float spot right now and jump in to take. Uh, that just sounds absolutely like vital, especially right now, there's so much going on. Uh, people are cooped up together who don't usually spend that much time. Families are going through so much stress with COVID. Some people are worried they're going to die just by taking a breath outside the door without their mask on. There's just so much stress. And I know that especially your tanks, you, you guys have just the most incredible filtration system. And I know this because I had the privilege of getting to actually see your manufacturing lab and get to work with my brother on some of the systems and just see what's under the hood. And it's incredible. And it's, it's very safe. Um, and I just cannot recommend it enough to, to give it a try. I mean, it's not scary and you have complete control over how dark it is. If you want the door open, like you're not, you're not stuffed into a tank and you just have to sit there for an hour. You like you, the person going in is under control, but the, the amount of relief that my body has felt in there is extraordinary. And the way that you frame that just makes so much sense. Yeah. For people that are nervous about the process, keep in mind that the most efficacious experience from it is when you are in complete sensory deprivation. So no light, no sound, no temperature, no gravity. If that's intimidating for you, then we don't have to do it that way. When you first get started, you, you can leave the door open a little bit. You can um, leave the lights on. There's a light in there. There's speakers in there. You could have music playing, Right. So we can slowly and incrementally work toward the pure sensory deprivation environment. We don't have to jump in there all the way. Also, people should keep in mind if you feel like you might be claustrophobic, um, there are float tanks out there like mine and, and there are others out there that are that are huge. 
right? So our, our tanks are six feet wide, eight feet long, and seven feet tall. They're, they're bigger than your bathroom at home. So if, if you're okay going in the bathroom at home, you're, you're going to be fine in one of these tanks. Take little baby steps and every once in a while turn around and look how fun and appreciate yourself for getting on the path in the first place. Appreciate yourself. Show yourself some gratitude for taking those little steps. They, they all add up and they all make a difference. Oof, that is some wisdom right there. That is, um, I think it's actually backed by science, habit formation. If uh, anyone's read Atomic Habits by James Clear, like those baby steps really add up in, in extraordinary ways and in sustainable ways. And so that that's really fantastic advice. I mean, I, I'm so inspired by your message, Kevin, and what you shared with us. And as we're getting down to the end of the episode, how could our listeners tune in to more of what you're what you're sharing your music your your medicine work the the float spa here in Austin where you know how can people find out more about what you do so zerogravityinstitute.com is the website for the float center uh, there's a lot of information there about what we do uh, about floating in general there's a lot of scientific research that's available through the website if uh, somebody wants to to uh, contact me directly, Kevin at zerogravityinstitute.com. If people are looking for um, information about doing medicine work, they can contact me at that address as well. Uh, the Vita Brigante website is um, under construction right now for legal reasons. It's, it's not going to be um, a place to really connect to ayahuasca uh, um, for right now while we while we can't leave the country we, we used to do uh, a lot of retreats in Guatemala we're like everybody else just now trying to figure out what the what that looks like but if people are interested in more information about medicine work and some recommendations on where to find places to do work um, they can contact me at that email, Kevin at Zero Gravity Institute, and I'm, I'm happy to uh, pick up a conversation with them about it. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, Kevin's really just a wonderful person and uh, so helpful with sharing information and pointing pointing people in the right direction. You, we've had so many wonderful conversations and they've always yeah, been so have. fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, that was, that was a beautiful ride and I'm so grateful for your time and everything you shared. And I really feel that you're broadcasting some epic messages. So thank you again for showing up on the podcast and um, I encourage everyone to check out your work. Well, thanks for having me, Kaylee. I, I, um, I'm really inspired by you and what you do. I've always loved your music. I'm really thrilled to see you on this new adventure of your podcast and, and helping other people get the podcast together. I think it's really great. And I, I really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you today. And uh, I was wondering if, uh, as we go out here, if maybe we want to um, go out with a little medicine music, perhaps I could offer your uh, listeners uh, an, an ikoro. That would be incredible. In fact, let me let me go ahead and put the uh, video on speaker view here so they can see you more clearly. All right, that would be a beautiful gift. Ready when you are.
in in medicine work with ayahuasca, we do a lot of work with different spirits of nature. We're we're particularly tree centric. We do a lot of work with tree spirits. This ikoro uh, is for ayauma. Ayauma is symbolized by a headless giant. The reason that he is headless is because his head is in his chest. His mind is near his heart, and so this is. The Ikro for calling the spirit of Ayauma. Antoi Muntai Jungai Sito, Puntai Muntai Kogo Chito, Forsi Tongi Ula Roso, Rija Rija Revaria Pura Pura Medicina, Claro Despeado Mundo Mundo Interito, Rija Rija Revaria Pura Pura Medicina, Limpia Limpia Cuerpoisito, Limpia Limpia Shongoi Nisetoini, Limpia Limpia Sentirito, Limpia Limpia Shongoi Nito. Poderosa medicina, poderoso icaroine, poderosa medicina, poderoso icaroine, hola, hola, monge, todo malo, visione, todo, todo, cruzamiento, se un agua tierra, subterraneo, aire, cunaine, nunca, nunca, poliendo, domina, se toine, ningún espíritu malo, cunaine, todo, todo, rebota, prote, pura, pura, medicina, Sinane resvelonge chaini toro toro malo kunaini. Hare runde runde nae nae. Hare runde runde nae nae. Kubre kubre kwe poisito pura pura medicinane. Huira ringe huira monge sin in bunas afflictiones. Harimo halarimo pura pura medicinane. Halarimo halarimo pura pura medicina. Jamo jamone, hegante sin cabezane. Jamo jamone, hegante sin cabezane. Legitimo doctorcito poderoso y Legitimo maestrocito poderoso y caroene. Fresco, fresco y caroesito cunayare. Cuerpoisito cunayare sin ningunas aflicciones. Halarimo, halarimo, pura, pura, lucetaini. Halarimo, halarimo, pura, pura, medicina. Hare ronde, ronde, nae, nae. Hare ronde, ronde, nae. Awesome. I'm speechless, obviously. That uh, was really powerful. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that with us all. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Till next time. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Beyond Air. I hope you enjoyed it and are now one step closer to turning on your microphone and broadcasting your message to the world. I'd love to hear from you. Let me know how I can help you on your broadcasting journey by getting in touch with me and maybe even apply for a strategy session if you want to discuss your podcast idea. You can reach me at www.podcast.com dashfarm.com. Till next time, my friends, I'm Kaylee Marks, and thanks for tuning in to Be On Air.